Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad you could join us. We're being heard all across the United States on our network of stations, about 850 of them. We're so glad that you are a part of one of those network facilities that can give you the information. If you've got about 90 minutes, we'll give you the world and our broadcast partners standing by to give you insight into current events that are unfolding and basically are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, in light of the uncertainty as to who the next president will be, and in fact, the idea that world leaders are moving ahead as if Joe Biden will be that next president, we're going to make an approach with our broadcast partners and question them as to what the situation might be if indeed Joe Biden does come out as the next president of the United States. I want to remind you, however, that the political events of this world are actually setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. And in light of that, we now go to Ken Timmerman. Ken is the man who covers geopolitical activities for us, and we go to him first because so many things happening on the geopolitical stage we need to cover, and then we start to specify by going to different regions of the world. Ken, let me just begin with this very simple question. It may be simple for me to say it, but I don't know how your answer is going to come out. If indeed Joe Biden does become the next president, would that be a return to the Obama era? Vice President has said it would be. He said he would return to the Iran deal. That is probably the most significant thing. He would return to trying to the traditional policy of trying to force Israel to make concessions to the Palestinians in exchange for who knows what, because we know that the Palestinians do not want peace. They've had many opportunities to make peace with Israel, and they've rejected every single one of them. Uh, But I think the Iran deal is the one that is on everybody's mind right now, uh, from Saudi Arabia to the UAE uh, to members of Congress. Well, and when we think about it, I've been reading and watching and talking with our broadcast partners in the Middle East. They say that there really is a mixed reaction to a Biden victory across the entire Middle East. Any other further comments that you might make on that? Well, look, if I am the leader of, say, Morocco or Tunisia or Egypt or even Saudi Arabia, I want to be, or Israel for that matter, I want to be very cautious. I want to cover all of my bases. Uh, If I have had a good relationship with Donald Trump, as Bibi Netanyahu has had, I don't want to get crossways with Donald Trump. But I also want to extend a hand to Joe Biden just in case he does actually win the election, which he hasn't done yet. Let's not forget, Joe Biden has not won the election. He is not president-elect. He's not president-elect of a dog pound. Jimmy, uh, you only become president-elect, you know, in one of two cases. Either your opponent has conceded or when the states certify the vote. And the states are a long ways from certifying the vote. I can tell you there's recounts in Wisconsin, recounts today just ordered in Michigan, recounts in Georgia. And these uh, hand recounts are really the only way that the voters can be certain 
that their election systems, the electronic voting systems that I talk about in the election heist, have not been hijacked. Uh, because it looks like they have been hijacked. And when you see discrepancies between the vote count, that's how you know that this has happened. You know, it almost seems like you were a prophet when you wrote your book, The Election Heist, and laid out the scenario that you foresaw would unfold. That's an amazing opportunity that uh, we have. If somebody would like to purchase the book, where would they go to get that, Ken? easiest thing, you can just Google it. Go to Amazon.com and you'll find the election heist. Go to my website, KenTimmerman.com, and you can see some of the things that I've been writing about this as well. Well, in light of what's going on, there are concerns among the Arab nations. Is there going to be an unraveling of the peace accords, the Abraham Accords, with the state of Israel if a Biden-Harris administration come to power? What are your thoughts? Well, this is a very dangerous possibility and a very real possibility. Already, you've got Senator Menendez, uh, the Democrat from New Jersey, who is the ranking member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And generally, he has been very pro-Israel. But he has been talking recently about rescinding the U.S. offer to sell F-35 fighter jets to the United Arab Emirates. And that was a perk, basically, that the Trump administration offered the UAE in exchange for joining the Abraham Accords. And it looks like a Biden administration would seek to punish those countries that have joined the Abraham Accords, including the state of Israel. The Saudis in a Biden administration have already uh, shown that uh, they are very wary of a Biden administration resuming the Iran deal. They have been reaching out to their neighbors. They've been reaching out to European countries and others to continue putting pressure on Iran and to resist the call to return to the Iran deal. The Saudis have been saying quite rightly that the Iranian regime, with its nuclear weapons program that we all know has been underway for, we now know it's been underway for you know over 20 years, they are the real threat peace in the Middle East. It's not, you know, the Arab countries. It's certainly not Israel that's the threat. It's the Iranian regime and the threat of Islamic terrorism, both. And by the way, one fuels the other. So I think there is a lot of concern that a Biden administration would walk us back to the Obama years when it was safer to be a mullah in Tehran chanting death to America than to be a Jew in his capital, Israel, trying to build an apartment. And, of course, those mullahs there in Iran celebrating what they hope will be the return to that nuclear bomb operation. They're very close to having a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. That could be on their agenda very quickly. In fact, that's why the Saudi king, I do believe, Ken, is urging a firm stance against Iran. I mean, the people in Saudi Arabia much concerned, but the entire Middle East the same way. Well, well, that's right. And if you just listen to the national media, to the ABCs, to the CNN and all the rest, you live in an alternate universe to the one that these leaders in the Middle East are living in. They understand the threat from Iran. If you listen to CNN, there is no threat from Iran. The Saudis and the others, they are on the receiving end of Iranian terrorism. Israel has been on the receiving end of Iranian terrorism and continues to be bracketed, as we speak today, by 150,000 Iranian-made missiles that they've sent to Hezbollah 
in Lebanon, as well as many more thousands of missiles that the Iranians have sent to Hamas in Gaza. You know what I've been observing as we've watched the Middle East very closely on this broadcast for many, many years, that the Arab states, very interesting, for the very first time, the Arab states are drawing closer to Israel to combat not only Iran, but also Turkey, and the fact that these are non-Arab countries that want to go after Israel. Have you observed the exact same thing? That's so tremendously important, Jimmy, and you are 100% right. Uh, and this is going to happen, by the way. It will continue to happen uh, regardless of what a Biden administration might do. It's going to be hard for them to walk back the reality of an Erdogan in Turkey, an Erdogan who wants to be the head of this Turan army, is what he calls it. It's a, it's a pan-Turkic army with Azerbaijan, with Kazakhstan, with, with other Turkic nations there in Central Asia, and he's been calling for this for a number of years, um, having a pan-Turkish army and becoming the dictator of a pan-Turkish union. Uh, It's a throwback to the Ottoman Empire, and we know you and I have discussed that on this program, that Erdogan admires the uh, aggressive expansionist period of the Ottoman Empire when they, they reached up to the gates of Vienna, right, with the Islamist and Islamic armies. So Erdogan wants to repeat that. The Arab countries are worried about that. And if they cannot rely on it on the United States because of a Biden administration would not be helping them, then they're going to turn to Israel. And in fact, I understand that Erdogan uh, wants to put together this army that you've been talking about, revealing to us, and compete with NATO. Can they possibly do that, or is just this a idea that is in Erdogan's mind? I think it's a, it's a strong possibility, and I'll tell you why, Jimmy, very quickly, is that uh, NATO has become an empty shell. The only reason NATO exists as a military force today is because of the United States. The French have scaled down their armed forces. The Germans have scaled back their armed forces. Few countries are spending anywhere close to the 2% of their GDP that they are required to under the NATO agreements. It used to be 3% in the 1980s, now it's 2%, and they still can't meet it. So NATO has become an empty shell. It is not a big, active military force, except for the U.S. troops that are part of it. If the Biden administration uh, scales back the U.S. military, as I believe they will be forced to do with all of their vast spending programs that they've outlined, uh, $4 trillion on coronavirus uh, relief and another $4 trillion for the Green New Deal, then you could have this pan-Turkic army, the Turan army, as the main force in the Central European, the Eurasian landmass. That is everything from the border with Europe. Remember, Turkey is itself on that border in the Bosphorus, right? Half of Turkey is in Europe, half of it's in Asia. You will have that pan-Turkic army with that enormous hinterland into Central Asia facing Europe the same way as it did during the Ottoman Empire. That's the voice of Ken Timmerman. He's an international journalist. He's a best-selling author. Remember the book, The Election Heist? You want to get a copy of it. And he's our friend and broadcast partner right here on Prophecy Today. Thank you so much, Ken. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have David Dolan standing by for his Middle East News Update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Now we're going to a key region of the world and a key report that we receive each and every week from David Dolan, his Middle East news update. It's key, especially for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. And David, in light of the fact that the uncertainty as to who's going to really be the president of the United States And what the world leaders are doing, even the leaders of Israel, in congratulating Joe Biden for his victory as the president-elect. We're asking questions and focusing on what it would be like in these regions and these areas of the world if indeed Joe Biden does come out to be the next president of the United States. Now, in light of that, I know this week that the Prime Minister and also the President, Reuven Rivlin, sent congratulations to Joe Biden on his election. However, later in the afternoon, Netanyahu said, I stand with Israel, not with the Republicans or the Democrats. What can you say about the statements by the prime minister and the president? Well, Jimmy, they're just being uh, realists. It certainly looks like the path for the president to hang on to his his seat is very, very narrow. Uh, there's, uh, what, five million more popular votes for Biden, and the contest is still going in at least four states. So it's likely that Biden will become president, and that's just a fact that Israel has to deal with. I can tell you for sure that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is not 
very thrilled with that fact because they remember what the Obama-Biden uh, administration, uh, the policies it had towards Israel, and they were certainly nowhere near as favorable as President Trump's. They expect a, a return to the two-state solution push. Already we had Kamalia Harris say in an interview with an Arabic newspaper in Michigan that they would uh, restore all the funding to the PLO, the Palestinian Authority, and uh, they would go back to condemning any Israeli settlement building or expansion, and certainly any Israeli annexation in the future would be roundly condemned. So they're not thrilled with the change of policies. But again, the United States remains Israel's closest and most important ally, and that will be the case next January and February, as it is now. So if Biden is the president and Harris the vice president, they just have to deal with it. And that's uh, part of what the congratulations uh, were all about. And on the other side of the body politic of the state of Israel, Mahmoud Abbas, who heads up the Palestinian Authority, he sent congratulations to Biden. At the same time, he sent a demand. He is wanting to have the embassy move to Jerusalem, move back to Tel Aviv. Is there any way possible that the Israelis would allow for that? No, I don't think so. The Democratic Party was part of the 1990s Senate resolution calling for the embassy to be moved to Jerusalem. It's always had a fair amount of support in the broad Democratic Party. And as the polls predicted, a large majority of American Jews voted for Biden. And it's a popular move amongst them. So that I don't think will happen. We won't see so much of a reversal of policy as a going back to what we had earlier, which was uh, mostly the policy we've seen since uh, the Six-Day War, which is American administrations calling for Israel to pull out of the, quote, occupied territories, that whole thing. So we're just reverting back to that. Israel's used to it, not happy about it, but they don't expect that. And certainly the peace deals that have been negotiated, as we said last week, uh, will remain in place. The only difference will be with Iran, and that is a major difference. Well, but not only with Iran, the Palestinians. You mentioned just a moment ago that Kamala Harris, who is the vice president-elect, she has already made a public statement that they're going to restore aid to the Palestinians, renew ties with the Palestinians. Boy, that doesn't bode well as far as the Israelis are concerned, does it? Well, the Israelis made peace with the Palestinians, Jimmy. The Oslo Accords were signed. And it was the Palestinians that didn't stick with those accords and went back to war in the year 2000 in the second uprising and started shooting at Israeli soldiers and this sort of thing. It's not something Israel's favoring, but it's what they expect under a democratic administration. There's still some legal blocks to moving back to where we were exactly before the Trump administration, especially the Forced Taylor Act that precludes any funding of the Palestinians as long as they're supporting terrorism. Well, that was passed by the Congress, uh, not by the White House, so it's supported by President Trump. So in other words, turning that back is going to be difficult if the Republicans retain control of the Senate, as now looks likely. So there will be changes back to the old policies, but not a complete reversion to it. And again, there's a, a great debate in Israel, though, now about why didn't Netanyahu annex when he could have under the Trump administration. And, uh, you know, that seems to have passed now. And there's a lot of people upset with that missed opportunity. Uh, those people that don't think the peace with the UAE and Bahrain is worth uh, losing that annexation. 
David, you've been a journalist in that region of the world, the Middle East, for over 30 years. You observe all this going on. I was there until the end of the time of 30 years of serving there in the Middle East as well. And one of the things I've been noticing is that the Arab nations seem to be drawing closer to Israel to counter non-Arab powers like Turkey and Iran. What are your thoughts? Oh, that's exactly what is behind these peace treaties and the warming relationship with Saudi Arabia and all of the Gulf countries. And uh, now we're talking about Morocco, possibly in Sudan already and, and others in the wings. It is that opposition to Iran that is at the core of it, and that is, again, due not to the fact that those countries are by nature anti-Iranian, just as the Israelis are not anti-Palestinian. It's the policies and the actions taken by these people that have caused the problems. And uh, Sharif, the foreign minister of Iran, put out a statement to his Arab neighbors saying, see, you made the wrong choice in backing Trump. He's now going, but we remain forever. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. Come back into our fold. So the Israelis are most worried about the a likely change of policy about Iran, and that is going to offend and worry a lot of the Arab countries, too. Trump tilted towards the Arab countries. The Democrats will probably tilt back towards Iran and Turkey, and that is definitely very worrisome to Israel. And, Jimmy, a lot of talk in Israel this week of maybe a joint U.S.-Israeli strike on Iran while Trump is still in office for the next 70 days. Uh, the, uh, Mike Pompeo's coming back to Israel this next week. There's been talks between the military leaders this week, the U.S. and Israeli leaders, and other things going on. So some indications in Mark Esper's firing at the Pentagon is another some see sign that we may be uh, having a joint military attack before uh, Trump leaves office to try to deal with the nuclear program. And it is still roaring ahead in Iran, and the Israelis are very worried about that. I've got to tell you, David, you read my mind. That was the next question I was going to ask you. Do you think it's a viable possibility that preemptive strike could take place? Well, again, there's just a lot of uh, speculation in the media about it. And uh, General McMaster, the former um, security advisor to Trump, uh, talked about it on Fox News during the week as well, that we may well see now Israel take action against Iran because they are enriching uranium at a furious pace, Jimmy. They can produce nuclear weapons within a few months, and uh, Israel just can't live with that, as Netanyahu has said so many times. So. Uh, why not go now while they would have the support of the U.S. military, whereas that would be questionable under Biden? That's what uh, people are, are speculating, talking about. We'll see. You know, it's interesting also to note that the Israelis and the Arabs are very much concerned about what's happening on the Temple Mount with these Abraham Accords. The Temple Mount is going to be open to many of these Arab nations and their peoples coming to Israel to visit the Temple Mount, which is the third most holiest site in Islam. But the Jews say, hey, we have the right to go up there as well. These Abraham Accords may open up the Temple Mount for both the Jews and the Muslim, might it not? Well, of course, Muslims go up there, as you say, and some Jews do go up there. But these uh, foreign Muslims have always been encouraged to stay away from Israel entirely because it's seen as visiting the country, as supporting the Zionist regime. So that's exactly what 
they're saying, and Jimmy, there have been some uh, groups from the UAE and Bahrain go up to the Temple Mount to pray, some group of Muslim businessmen that were uh, visiting Israel in the past few weeks, and they've been harassed by the Palestinians up there, uh, booed and, and jeered at and told to go home and get off. And they've said back to them, hey, we're Muslims too. You don't own this place, Palestinians. This belongs to the entire Islamic world. So uh, the Palestinians have to be careful how they react to these people because they may see themselves in hot water more than they are already now with some of these moderate Arab countries. That's presuming, of course, that they continue to come under uh, President Biden. There may be, as you said, the suggested some changes in that. But the Temple Mount remains at the center of controversy. We know that's going to be the case until the end. You know, friends, if you've been listening for the last couple of moments, you understand why we always go to David Dolan for his Middle East News update, giving us insight as to how things are unfolding, actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled there in this key region of the world. Thank you so much, David. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. He'll talk about the post-Trump, pre-Biden administrations as well. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is a period of time, 90 minutes, as I mentioned earlier, that we ask you if you will give us that time. We'll give you our six broadcast partners and their insight into current events that are happening in our world. In just a moment, we're going to be talking with Winky Madad. Going to find out from Winky what his thoughts are about possibly an upcoming Biden administration operating out of the White House in Washington, D.C. But stay tuned, if you will. Itamar Marcus is going to talk about United States taxpayer dollars being used to pay people that are going to go out and kill children, those in the Palestinian body politic. Well, that's upcoming after that. John Rood, his European Union update. And then we're going to talk with David James also about why churches are not teaching Bible prophecy. This will be an exhortation. You may want to listen so you can talk to your pastor as to why he is not teaching one-third of the entire Bible. Those all coming up in a moment. 
But as mentioned, let's go to Winky Madad. He's in Shiloh, which is the center part of the state. It was the original beginnings of the state of Israel where the tabernacle was located, a very historic, very biblical site. And Winky, as I have just mentioned, you've been listening in, of course. I want to talk about the possibility of a Biden administration. Now, let me begin it this way. Looks like to me that the prime minister, Netanyahu, and also the president of the country, Reuven Rivlin, congratulated Joe Biden as the president-elect. Now, why I'm asking about this, I also noticed that the Mexican president has not done that yet, nor has Vladimir Putin who's president of Russia. I'm wondering, did uh, the prime minister and the president of Israel kind of jump the gun? Well, it's quite possible that they could have phrased their congratulations in the sense that at the present moment, indications are, and we congratulate you, or we are very uh, happy that the American democratic process has taken its usual route. And, of course, we will await the final outcome, which means the vote of the Electoral College, if I'm not mistaken, at the beginning of January or so, uh, some other phrase. And, Jimmy, if I'm not mistaken, and you can correct me, I don't think Netanyahu actually used the phrase president-elect. He ran around the bush shall we say, about that. But again, he sort of caved in a little bit because there was a huge media pressure. Why isn't Netanyahu congratulating Mr. Biden? And uh, Israel is not Russia, and I don't think too many people care about Mexico. So Israel really had no choice but to make some sort of statement that would allow it to say, well, at the present, this is what it looks like. But that's international politics, Jimmy, and sometimes if you're not the biggest boy on the block, you get pushed over. Yes, and I dare not correct Winky Madad. I'm not sure whether the prime minister said president-elect or not. But I also do need to mention that both the president and the prime minister of Israel thanked President Trump for what he has done over these last four years for Israel itself. And most likely this was a PR movement that they had to follow through with at least making some statement. Is it not, Winky? That's the way I would see it. Israel has too much to lose if it would completely ignore uh, the situation as it developed at the end of last week. We have to work with whoever is in the White House. Uh, And I point out again, uh, at least uh, as much as I know of Mr. Netanyahu, he was not afraid to go up against Obama. So it's not a question of whether or not we would lay down and let everybody roll over us. But I think it's common courtesy to mention the fact that it would seem that he is on a way to a victory. But you have to take apart uh, piece by piece his exact statement to see how he managed to swim around the, uh, the issue. You know, Winky, we do not really know even here in America who is going to be the next president. That's still somewhat up in the air. 
Uh, but as it looks, and it seems to be, that there may be a new administration led by Joe Biden. Bottom line, as it relates to the Israeli body politic, are they concerned about a Biden administration? Well, we're concerned about, and I'm glad you asked me about the Biden administration. If it was Mr. Biden himself about 10 years ago, I don't think, as far as I can tell, that the politicians and even the diplomats that staff the foreign ministry settler would be that much upset. However, it's a Mr. Biden who's much older, who sometimes doesn't remember where he is, who's going to be dependent on his administration. If he appoints good people, fair people, knowledgeable people, then we have no problem. But if he appoints people who want to come back to the Iran deal, who will be more, I'm putting out quotation marks in a virtual sense for the listeners, about a uh, peace process with the Palestinian Authority and other issues that are go to the essence and the supreme uh, security of the state of Israel and its citizens, we'd have to uh, see who these people are. And we don't know, and I might have mentioned it the last time we spoke, if Mr. Biden will last out the four years, or if he will cater too much to the so-called progressive social democratic wing of the Democratic Party. These things, Jimmy, can play out not that well and I'm not only talking about Israel. I think many times we've discussed issues. Israel is, is one agenda item. In my opinion, it's the most important, but that's from my perspective. But there's also other foreign policy issues and world uh, agenda items, global aspects of an American administration that could be affected by the wrong people or a weak president in, 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 in the wrong places. Many people here in America, Winky, are asking, will a Joe Biden administration be another Obama administration? So based upon that thought, let me just throw out a couple of concerns that I'm sure Israel may have and just give me a brief statement about each. For example, the Obama administration, possibly Biden administration, was anti-Jewish settlements, anti annexation. Your thoughts? I would uh, agree with that statement. I think there'd be, again, a tightening of uh, the conversation between our senior uh, officials from the prime minister's office on down, and it will be, I think, a return to that period, which, if you recall, and a recall to our listeners, that Netanyahu himself had to knuckle under and, and have a nine- or ten-month moratorium on construction in the communities out here in Judea and Samaria. We overcame that, but it's not the best thing to do. What about, will there be a fight over the division of the city of Jerusalem? In other words, making Jerusalem into the city of two different capitals, one for a Palestinian state, the other for an Israeli state. I would tend to agree that would be very high on Biden's agenda, if I am not mistaken, he did not indicate removing the recognition of the Jerusalem as where the embassy is, but he might work on a so-called two-capital situation there in Jerusalem, which is between you, me, Jimmy, and everybody listening, neither here nor there, 
and it wouldn't be very helpful. But yes, I could see that direction coming. And would the Israeli leadership agree ever in the future with anybody about going back, the Israelis going back to the borders pre-67? Not at all. We have the uh, Oslo Accords on the table, which the Palestinian Authority is refusing to negotiate, I think for maybe 10 years or so now. When Mr. President Trump even visited Ramallah, he got into a fight with Mr. Abbas about the whole issue. And I think that the aspect of trying to change it will, will, will be too difficult and complicated for Mr. Biden. But I'm sure that from what I've been reading, and again, I am not in the corridors of power or walking around Washington, but from what I read, there are indications of more radical solutions trying to be lifted up for public consumption and therefore adopted, which would, not, which would be very negative, in my opinion. And all of you listening to the conversation that I'm having with Winky Madad, I wanted you to hear what the heartbeat of the body politic of Israel and the leadership might well be if indeed there is a Biden administration in the future for America and as it relates to Israel. Great insight, Winky. Thank you so very much. And we'll have another conversation, I'm sure, down the road. Jimmy, again, a pleasure and a privilege talking with you. And goodbye to you and to our listeners. Very interesting conversation with Winky Madad talking about a post-Trump era and then a pre-Biden era. We're at that time between the two. And so we're just giving you some information that will assist you in understanding what the possibilities are, especially as it relates to the Jewish state of Israel. Well, right now we're going to continue our conversations with our broadcast partners. Winky Madad was first in this segment, now Itamar Marcus. And by the way, Itamar, I understand that a couple of weeks ago, since last we talked, your daughter has given birth to twin boys. Congratulations there, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, she has, and uh, it's a blessing. Thank you. Oh, it is a blessing. Those grandbabies. I have a pillow on my bed that says, if I would have known how great grandchildren were, I would have never had children, but uh, indeed, they are a blessing. Well, this last week, we were talking about birth here, but in reality, there was a death, and I think of a pretty significant Palestinian leader. Saeed Arakat has uh, gone into eternity. He was a major player, but he really had some problems, did he not, physically? I mean, I understand he had had a heart attack not too long ago, had some problems with his lungs, but uh, that is a understanding that the coronavirus finally got him and took him out. But I want to talk about who he was and what his role was. First of all, he was a very important negotiator for the Palestinian people. Talk to us about who he was and then what his role was. Yes, he was a negotiator for the Palestinian Authority since literally before the Oslo Accords were agreed upon, before there even was a Palestinian Authority. And in his position, he was constantly in contact with with Israeli politicians, 
And one of the things that was I found so significant after he did die was that the Israeli politicians who had negotiated with him, many of them presented him as if he was a positive force in the Palestinian Authority, as if he was actually a force for peace. Uh, whereas we, who watch what he says to Palestinians, not to Israelis, we had a completely different picture of him. And this is typical of Palestinian Authority leaders. They say one thing when they're negotiating in English to the international community, but to their own people, they have completely different messages. I'll just give you a couple of examples here about this. When the United Nations was actually considering a uh, Security Council, there was a proposal to, to call, to declare... Hamas a terror organization. Well, Hamas, as we know, is a vicious terror organization, uh, recognized by most countries, uh, most Western countries in the world as a terror organization. I would go even more than that. Hamas is a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood, even Egypt recognizes them as a terror organization in many of the Arab Gulf states. So Hamas is definitely a terror organization. And when, when this was being discussed, Saeb Arikat, who's supposed to be a peaceful person, said, Hamas is part of the Palestinian movement and never was and will never be a terrorist movement. And then he stood against the American attempts. The Palestinian Authority stood against the American attempts to declare Hamas a terror movement. So here he is saying that he supports peace, but Hamas terrorists who, with their suicide bombs, blew up and murdered hundreds of Israelis during uh, terror for years and, and shot and murdered many Israelis and still today talk about it's, it's in their charter that the resurrection, the uh, hour of resurrection won't come until Muslims exterminate the Jewish people. So this is Hamas, and he says they're not a terror organization. He went even beyond that in a different statement once when he was talking about all the Palestinian terrorists who, who are in prison. And again, we're talking about 5,000 or so people, uh, terrorists who are in prison, many of them mass murderers, hundreds of them with life sentences for, for murders of between 1 and 67 people. That's the longest one. There's one person there, Abdallah Barghouti, has 67 life sentences. And what did Saeb Arikat say about these people? He said, the Palestinian people struggle, this is a quote, is meant to achieve freedom. Now, when he talks about struggle, he's talking about terror. They said it's forbidden for anyone, any party that relies on international law and international bodies to describe this struggle as terror. In other words, Abdullah Barghouti, whose bomb blew up in Hebrew University and murdered students and American students, along with other foreign students who were in the cafeteria, uh, that's not terror. This is Saeb Arikat. So Saeb Arikat, again, had two faces. He had one face for, for the Western world, for the Western media. He spoke an excellent English, and he but he had his different messages uh, internally for his own people. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Itamar, about this personality, Saeb Erdogan, was for the fact that I wanted the people to understand the leadership of the Palestinian Authority and how they are so difficult to be able to come to some kind of a coexistence in their negotiating for peace and a resolution to the Israeli Palestinian conflict. Well, I was on your website, powellwatch.org. Let me suggest if you're listening, you ought to bookmark that on your internet operation, powellwatch.org, because there Itamar and his team, Palestinian Media Watch, keep us abreast of what is going on. And I noticed the first article that I read 
that uh, the Palestinian Authority is paying terrorists to kill children. Explain that for us, please. The Palestinian Authority has a rule that any time a terrorist kills an Israeli or, or attempts to kill an Israeli, ends up in an Israeli jail, from the day they end up being arrested, they start receiving a Palestinian Authority salary. The longer they're in jail, the higher the salary goes. So that if he's a murderer who's spending his life in jail, his salary is eventually going to reach 12000 shekel a month, which is about $3,500 a month. Now, you have to understand how high that is for Palestinians. The average Palestinian salary is less than $1,000 a month. And these terrorists are getting $3,500 a month um, just, for, just for murdering, just for murdering and going to jail. And this is the Palestinian Authority, who the world believes is a peace partner. Now, we particularly released a story. There was a, a murder uh, 18 years ago. The anniversary was just this week. So we released the story of all the people who were involved in the murder of uh, four children and nine adults. It was one terror cell. And they have received, the terrorists involved, have received already $371,000 from the Palestinian Authority. By the way, I would point out that a, a portion of that is American tax money because until recently, until the president canceled it, the United States was giving money to the Palestinian Authority over the years. And these people have been receiving this money for 18 years, certainly during the period of time that the United States was funding the Palestinian Authority. The Europeans are still funding the Palestinian Authority. So the Western countries, under the guise of trying to support the Palestinian Authority, are actually putting money into the pockets of terrorist murderers. Well then, and I understand, based upon that understanding of where the money's been coming from to pay these terrorists to kill people. What about the Biden administration? I understand Kamala Harris has made a statement that the United States under a Biden-Harris administration are going to refund the Palestinian Authority. Donald Trump shut it off. Now they're going to refund it. That does not sound good, does it? Well, I'm hoping that Kamala Harris said that because she's not aware of the Palestinian Authority uh, pay-for-slave program, that she's not aware that money goes into the hands of terrorist murderers. One of the things that uh, we at Palestinian Media Watch are going to try to do is we're going to try to get meetings with the new people who are coming in in the new administration, hopefully even before, even before they, they take office, and try to give them an overview of the kind of information that I give you and your listeners um, because the United States, for so many years, built policy towards the Palestinian Authority, towards Israel, based on misinformation, lack of information, false information. And hopefully the people there are going to be sincere enough that when I would show them you know, the, the textbooks, Palestinian textbooks, the television programs trying to brainwash children to be martyrs, to kill themselves for Allah, uh, sermons on TV, on official Palestinian TV, calling for the extermination of Jews. When they see that this is all coming from the official Palestinian Authority sources, maybe they'll understand that it's immoral, not only illegal, but it's immoral to fund the Palestinian Authority. So I'm hoping that we will have similar impact with the new administration as we were able to have with the uh, current administration when we did, did get to them and did meet their people and their representatives. Well, we'll be praying that that will be the case. That door will be open for you to do that, Inamar. Your team 
offers a great service to the rest of us around the world, understanding what the Palestinian media is saying, both the print and the electronic media. Thank you so very much, Itamar, for updating us on this situation. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation real soon. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good one. Very important conversation with Itamar Marcus and also Winky Madad looking at both the Palestinian understanding of the presidential election. And, of course, when Winky talked with us, we talked about what the Israeli leadership is thinking about as well. Now, in light of our theme for today, uncertainty on who the next president will be, we're going to presume that we don't know, but go ahead, and because many of the world leaders are talking about Joe Biden as that next president, that's how we're framing our questions when we talk to our broadcast partners. Uh, John Root is the man who covers the European Union for us, and John, in light of that thought, let me approach you now with this story coming out of Europe. Europe is ready, and that would include the European Union as well, to team up with Joe Biden as it relates to China. What can you tell us? Well, indeed, this is certainly the case. Europe is ready to team up with Joe Biden on China, and I think just probably just about everything else. They have expressed a real desire to get things back to the status quo, so they see now to leverage the United States to help the situation in China. But now there's an extra concern because it appears that if the Biden administration is, let's say, certified and elected, so forth, they are expressing an interest to have a a close cooperation with China. And this is against the EU's interests. So the foreign policy chief is very concerned with all the typical issues with China, the South China Sea, unfair trade, 5G. And so they're uh, scrambling now to have inside track with a a possible Biden team. The EU ambassador to Washington said that China could be the most important area for the U.S. and the EU to work together on. And uh, speaking of Europe and some of the members of the European Union, Greece, along with the Middle Eastern state, the largest Arab state, Egypt, are also seeking Biden to play a role in the East Mediterranean dispute that's going on there. Talk to us about that. Right. They would, uh, again, these nations, Greece and Egypt, would expect uh, Joe Biden to take uh, the more traditional role uh, concerning NATO. Greece and Egypt are meeting, and they have formed a mini-coalition or agreement uh, concerning the rights in the eastern Mediterranean, of course, and then Turkey and Libya have uh, done their own agreement. There is a wishful look to a possible Biden administration that they would take a role in that conflict, uh, to be more precise, between uh, Turkey and the EU nations as well as Middle Eastern nations. John, we often talk about the European Union right now. NATO is their military operation protecting the European Union and originally for the purpose of protecting the EU from Russia. 
However, they have talked often about putting their own military operation together. Now, I understand some of the European Union leaders are saying they'll bring in third countries, inviting them to join the European military project. How do we understand this going on? That's a good question because that's a bit mixed up. Indeed, the European Union has its own military uh, projects and presence. And uh, everyone is looking for NATO to have a specific uh, going forth from this time. And so we're looking at EU-NATO coordination. Then on top of that, as you said, there is the desire for third countries to join European military projects. They laid out quite a bit of criteria. And really what it's pointing to is the United States, Norway, and the United Kingdom. So the United Kingdom was very strong military presence, which left the European Union, of course. And so now the EU is looking to strengthen the EU military with the United States, Norway, and the United Kingdom. So it's, it is really kind of mixed up backwards type situations here. Everyone's scrambling for their own power and interest, obviously. And we're talking about political events that are unfolding in the European Union, mentioning China, talking also about a military operation in the European Union and a connection to the Middle East as it relates to Egypt and the Eastern Mediterranean. That's all Bible prophecy, a scenario laid out in God's Word. That's why we have John Root every week give us his European Union update. John, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, and we certainly see the parallels to the nations and empires and civilizations of today. Thank you, Jimmy. You're certainly welcome, good friend. Hey, we're going to have to take a break, folks. I've got one more broadcast partner, David James. We're going to be talking about why aren't churches teaching Bible prophecy. That's after the news at the top of the hour, and then we'll be back with our final half hour. Keep the dial set wherever it is. You're listening to Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung still here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad you could join us. You've given us an hour thus far, about a half hour left. If you can stay with us, 90 minutes of information that will assist you in understanding the times in which we are living. Want you to answer my poll question, if you will. Go to my homepage, prophecytoday.com on the internet. There on the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, here's the poll question. With the uncertainty in the outcome of the presidential election from a biblical perspective, do you believe that God is still in control and will set in place as president the man he wants to be there, as is stated in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1? That's the poll question. Go to my website and answer it. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. You tune in. We know that because we get a number of emails from those who hear our conversation as we look at an issue that needs a biblical perspective. That's our 
idea behind this whole conversation. We're not trying to push you one direction or another in an issue. We want to push you to the Word of God and allow you to make your decision, a biblical decision, on how you're going to deal with the issue. David, this week we received several emails from listeners with a couple of them related to the presidential elections. I thought it'd be good if we started with these two emails. Will you do that, please, sir? Sure, happy to. The one listener wrote this, I would like to know what you think about Biden winning the election, if he really has. There were so many Christians praying for Trump to win. Do you think God may be going to judge the United States for all the wrong things that have been going on for so long, such as abortion, gay marriage, and so on? So, Jimmy, I I know a lot of people say America is under God's judgment, but my general answer to that question is that in a fallen world, we know that every nation deserves God's judgment. And without special revelation, we don't really know whether God is executing judgment specifically or simply allowing things to run their course as we reap what we sow in a sinful fallen world. Uh, Another listener wrote this, my question is, does a Biden presidency put us closer to the tribulation since Trump wouldn't be behind Israel? I know that all nations will come against Israel or protest the invasion of Israel, but no one will come to Israel's aid. If Trump was president, he will stand with Israel, but a Biden presidency would probably look the other way. I think with a Biden presidency, other countries will see a weaker Israel-U.S. relationship and move quicker to come against Israel. So, Jimmy, others have actually speculated the other way, wondering if Trump being involved with the recent Abraham Accords has actually brought us closer to the Daniel 9 peace treaty and, and so closer to the tribulation. We do know this, that God is setting the stage for the tribulation, but there's no specific geopolitical event that will trigger it. Rather, we know it's the rapture that will set things into motion for the revived Roman Empire, the Antichrist, and the tribulation. And concerning that first coalition that comes against Israel, that's in Ezekiel 38, and God himself will destroy that one. And no matter what, Jimmy, we are a day closer than we were yesterday. Oh, praise the Lord for that. I do appreciate the fact that that rapture could happen at any moment. Well, David, we got another listener who sent us an email uh, that we decided actually to use as the basis for our discussion today. He is concerned about the lack of teaching about biblical prophecy in the churches today. Now, you and I are exactly on the same page with our listener, but let's talk about that, will you please? Sure. Well, this email was from a longtime listener, actually, and he's wrote this. I know you've discussed this issue before, but I was scrolling through AM radio and stopped when I heard Pastor Alistair Begg speaking. I didn't hear his entire message, but I could tell he was teaching from the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 about those who endure to the end being saved. And from what I understood, he was teaching about this being the body of Christ today, and he confirmed this later, and at no point did he mention anything about the tribulation period. And Jimmy, our listener, went on to say that Alistair Begg said that when it speaks about bringing the gospel to all the nations, he wasn't referring to the tribulation period, but to us spreading the gospel today. And then our listener wrote this, I make studying prophecy as important as any other doctrine, and when I see pastors who are teaching from prophetic passages but in the wrong context, I get disappointed. I really feel like prophecy continues to just fall by the wayside in our church 
churches today, I've come to know that prophecy is so important, and it points directly to Jesus Christ. And so, Jimmy, I would say amen to that. And I've listened to Alistair Beck before, as he's been on the radio for a long time, and to be fair, he is a good teacher and communicator in general. However, I would say, with this caveat, he's reformed in his doctrines of salvation, the Church, and eschatology, and so he's not going to get right the Olivet Discourse and other prophetic passages. So we do share our listeners' concern. Yes, we and certainly do, and let me just put this personal note in. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to lead Alistair Begg and his wife, on a tour of Israel. I knew where his eschatology was. You know, of course, where my eschatology is. And it was so interesting to watch his facial expressions. We'd go to the biblical sites, and then I would bear down on what Bible prophecy tells us about that particular site, State of Israel and the Jewish people. It was a fun time. We praise the Lord for his ministry, but we would pray that he might become more understanding of what Bible prophecy is all about. Well, David, we know that this friend of the ministry isn't alone, as we've just made notice of, in his concerns about the lack of teaching of biblical prophecy. But historically, conservative evangelicalism has been largely dispensational. So how did we get from where we were then to where we are today? Well, Jimmy, I think there's a number of things over the last 30 to 40 years that have contributed to this. Uh, one is that some have never taken dispensationalism seriously, and some dispensational seminaries and colleges began looking to reform theology as being the more historically and academically credible of the two. This combined with more emphasis on regional accreditation, which can require more diversity in faculties, sometimes led them to bring in more and more professors who weren't committed dispensationalism. And then this began filtering down into the churches as old guard conservative dispensational pastors began to retire. I would also say that a second major factor, at least from my perspective, that played into this was the seeker-sensitive movement that began to take off in the late 80s. The idea was to shift toward making church more relevant for the lost rather than equipping the saints to reach the lost. And as a result, there was a shift away from expository preaching through the scriptures in favor of topical messages that were aimed at felt needs. And so over time, biblical doctrine, especially eschatology, just got pushed to the side. And so the next generation of leaders in the churches just weren't equipped with enough biblical knowledge or theological commitments to properly screen pastoral candidates, uh, and many of whom were beginning to come in with an agenda to move evangelicalism away from dispensational theology. And Jimmy, I've heard this over and over again everywhere around the world. You know, David, although the focus on biblical prophecy is really in decline, there is an increasing amount of emphasis on extra-biblical prophecy. A lot of that was flying around during the presidential elections, and a lot of those so-called prophets apparently got it all wrong, didn't they? 
They did, and I've been watching this too. And I have a personal interest in this whole issue for a number of reasons, including the fact that 36 years ago I was saved through a holiness Pentecostal pastor, and I've had a number of people very close to me who were deep into the extreme charismatic movement for many years, and they've since come out. There may still be a slight question about Biden being president, but there's a lot of chaos out there among those who confidently prophesied that Trump would be elected to a second term. For example, back on October 20th, Pat Robertson told his 700 Club viewers that without question, Trump is going to win the election. And then he also predicted that the Earth will be destroyed by an asteroid over five years from now. He has a history of failed prophecies. A Bethel Church pastor out in California said, I was wrong. I take full responsibility for being wrong. There's no excuse for it. But then he said this, I don't think it makes me a false prophet, but it does actually actually create a credibility gap. And one of President Trump's main spiritual advisors, Paula White, was declaring the angels were coming in from Africa and South America to intervene in the final election results. Just this past weekend, Kenneth Copeland was laughing from his pulpit concerning media declaring Biden the president-elect. And others aren't backing down either. For example, Jeremiah Johnson sent out an email after the election that said this, as many of you know, there has been a chorus of mature and test prophets in America with a proven track record that have predicted Donald J. Trump would be re-elected president of the United States. I am one of them. Well, and I've got to say, you and I are not prophets nor even sons of prophets, and we really don't know what the final result. They're still debating who is the next president of the United States, so we're not trying to make the statement that we know either way or the other. However, we wanted to talk about this, lay it out, and think through what God's Word really has to say about the issue. And of course, it really certainly raises a number of questions, including about the reliability of biblical prophecies and true prophets of God versus the many false teachers which Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 and the false prophets that are out there today. Well, that's right, Jimmy, and there's no comparison. The false prophets today need to be thankful that we're not under the law of Moses because they wouldn't have the luxury of digging in their heels or just saying, oops. Uh, In Deuteronomy 18, in the context of speaking of the coming prophet who would be greater than Moses, meaning the Messiah, the Lord said this, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. So, Jimmy, a prophet from God was both a faithful and true teacher of uh, what God had said, and he didn't claim that God had said something he didn't say. And if someone missed even one prophecy, then he was put out of business permanently. And one of the things you hear about so-called prophets today is that the standard is no longer the 100% accuracy required in the Old Testament. And when I mentioned Jeremiah Johnson earlier, he went on to say this, Either a lying spirit has filled the mouths of numerous trusted prophetic voices in America, or Donald J. Trump really has 
won the presidency, and we're witnessing a diabolical and evil plan unfold to steal the election. But, Jimmy, fulfilled prophecy is one of the main reasons we know that the Word of God is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. And so it's impossible for Satan to thwart an event that God has actually said will happen. David, let's get back to biblical prophecy for a moment. What are some of the things that you think need to happen to start a reversal of this trend away from teaching the prophetic Word of God? Well, first of all, and our listeners have heard me say this before, I'm beginning to see glimmers of hope. When we started the Alliance for Biblical Integrity 12 years ago, one of my goals was to find a network of other people who uh, would believe what we do about the Bible and theology. Uh, so dispensationalism began as a grassroots movement in churches, not in seminaries, and I think we need to get back to that, with individual believers putting effort into studying the Bible for themselves. Everyone needs to have a few basic books in their library, like a book on theology and and, uh, good Bible interpretation like Roy Zook's book, and books on studying the Bible correctly and the Bible knowledge commentary. I'd also encourage pastors and Sunday school teachers to tackle these subjects in their preaching and teaching. And parents, you need to be sending your kids to solid Bible college does it have a high view of Scripture? And another thing would be to get connected with ministries like yours, Jimmy, and mine, and Andy Woods, and, and other dispensational teachers, because there are dispensationalists out there, and you can find them. Yes, indeed. And be searching, but I think the greatest thing you said, get into the book, the Word of God, the prophetic passages in the Word. Do it for yourself. And you don't have to believe all of us who teach Bible prophecy. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you as well as he has taught us. That's what God's Word said will happen, John chapter 16. David, thank you. I think that this was a great conversation for people to eavesdrop on. I appreciate your research. Thank you for bringing all of this to the table. We'll have another discussion next week. I'll look forward to it. Thanks a lot. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll open the Bible. That's what we've been talking about. Look at the Bible. See what it says. We'll give a prophetic perspective to all the reports from my broadcast partners. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore, a special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now, that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man and the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. 
To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8prophecy8, that's 877-674-3298. And thank you very much. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, we took the approach as I would talk with my broadcast partners that the uncertainty of the results of the presidential election and then add to that world leaders already congratulating Joe Biden as the next American president we decided to ask the broadcast partners to give us insight and indeed some great detailed information as if Joe Biden would actually be the next president. My broadcast partners gave us some very important insight and detailed reports that I believe were right on target. Now, if you had to miss any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen to these reports that we've archived and have available for you to listen when it will be convenient for you to do that. And by the way, do me a favor, send the link along to a family member or a friend, so they'll be able to go to Prophecy Today Radio Network and hear these reports as well. Right now, I want to take a moment so I can look at the reports and give you my prophetic perspective. Ken Timmerman is the man who covers geopolitical activities in our world, and when I talked with him, we talked about Turkey looking to form a military alliance to compete with NATO. Now remember, NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is the military for the European Union. They were brought in place to protect the EU from Russia. Actually, Turkey is a member state of NATO. However, now Erdogan wants to set up his own military alliance. May I tell you, that is a page out of Bible prophecy. That's Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. David Dolan gives us his Middle East news update. He's very experienced as a journalist in the Middle East over 30 years of doing that. He has been observing that the Arab nations are drawing closer to Israel and doing that to counter any non-Arab nations like Turkey and Iran. Now remember, the Arabs are nations that speak Arabic and are Islamic in their faith, and the other nations like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, these are not Arab nations, but Islamic nations. You know, an Arab-Israeli alliance today looks very, very good. But I've read the last chapter in Bible prophecy. I've told you about it. It tells us that this will not be the case. A very close relationship between the Arabs, the Islamic nations, and the state of Israel. 
the Arab nations will actually align with the non-Arab Islamic states to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. They talk about that after their council meeting. That's found in Psalm 83, verse 4. Winky Madad, who is an Israeli historian that has been involved in the political arena as well, talked with us when we had our conversation about Israeli leaders who fear a Biden presidency because they believe it will return to the Obama era. Remember, that was not a good time, those eight years under President Obama, for the Jewish people. But I've also got to remind you that God puts into the heart of political leaders to make political decisions that will result in the fulfillment of God's plan for the future. That's Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. And that is the case with past presidents, present presidents, and future presidents as well. Itamar Marcus came to talk to us about how the Palestinians feel with a coming Joe Biden presidency. He reminded us that U.S. tax dollars have paid Palestinian terrorists to kill Jewish children. A Biden administration says they will return to giving tax dollars to the Palestinians. It's a dangerous step to use U.S. taxpayer dollars to fund the killing of Jewish adults and especially Jewish children. Any administration should walk circumspect before doing that. And remember, Bible prophecy says that the Palestinians will rise up and kill the Jews and then steal their land. That's Ezekiel chapter 35, verses 5 and 10. John Rood is the man who reports on the European Union, and he gave us the report that the EU is ready to join with Joe Biden in partnership with China. Remember, Daniel chapter 7 talks about the European Union as the revived Roman Empire. Revelation sixteen twelve talks about China. And if the United States partners with these two, we're moving towards the direction of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And then David James and I had our conversation focused on a number of false prophets who made false prophecies about the presidential election, which were not biblical. Many false prophets predicted a Trump re-election. Well, that still may be possible. However, we do not look to current events as the way it drives our thinking of the end times. God's word does not say that Donald Trump would be re-elected or Joe Biden would be elected. We go to the word of God for prophetic truth. And that is key in our understanding of what God has laid out in the prophetic passages of God's Word. If you had to miss any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And there you can listen to these reports that we've archived and have available for you to listen when it will be convenient for you to do that. And think about it now, when you combine all of these reports, anyone can see that this world 
is quickly moving on a daily basis closer to the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. That said, it looks like the next event, the rapture, could actually happen at any moment, maybe even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.